Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Over the last several weeks, we've been on a journey seeking to discover what biblical holiness is, what it says to us about the character of God, but perhaps most importantly is what implications does it have for our own lives? And I don't know about you, but I have found it so helpful to just kind of trace the concept of holiness throughout the biblical narrative. Here's just a short recap of what we've learned so far. We began by learning that the word holy is a biblical word that means unique and set apart. But in the scriptures, it isn't just God that is called holy, that God causes other things to be holy as well. In particular, time, people, places, and things. Then we keyed in on two Old Testament visions that have helped ground our understanding for holiness throughout this series. The first uh, first bit that we understood was that holiness cleanses impurities. And this is first seen in Isaiah's temple vision, Uh, but then embodied in the person of Jesus, God's own son, God made flesh, who spends his life in ministry touching impure people, bringing restoration, healing, and wholeness. The second thing that we've learned from these Old Testament visions that have helped ground our understanding of holiness is that it is in God's nature to reach out. Now, this is first seen in Ezekiel's vision uh, of a life-giving river flowing out of the temple. But then this reality is to be embodied by the people of God called the church, that we are called to then go out into the world with the healing news of Jesus Christ. I hope that not only have you learned more information and kind of gained more knowledge, but I hope you've been inspired by these prophetic visions and what they mean for our lives today. As Before we jump into the final kind of vision that we want to look at, I want to remind us of some practical implications that we've learned so far. We've really learned that holiness is not so much about personal morality, although it certainly includes that but it's primarily about being transformed by God for the purpose of then bringing the good news of God to bear on the world around us. And so holiness is not so much about separation as it is about engagement. And holiness is not so much an individual phenomenon as much as it is a social one. Um, And so with those things in mind, what I wanna do to kind of close out Uh, our series is to begin looking at uh, the Bible's final vision in the book of Revelation. Now on the surface, I'll admit, it may not seem that this passage of scripture has much to do with holiness, but we can only, but we understand that only if we limit our understanding of holiness as something that we earn through separation or following the rules. But with our new understanding of holiness as being transformed by the holy God, who then calls us to share his holy and healing love with others, I think we'll find that this passage of Scripture has everything to do with holiness. So I want to read two sections uh, of Scripture from the last chapters of the book of Revelation. Uh, And let's hear those now. The first one is from Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 5. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. 
He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And then the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, in this powerful vision, both from chapter 21 at the beginning and then the end of chapter 21 going into chapter 22, this is a powerful vision of a holy city coming down to earth, which represents the full establishment of God's rule. And it's important to note that these prophetic visions and the vision of the revelation should not be taken with concrete literalism. But rather, we should be seeking to try to ask and understand what is this vision trying to show us that is most true about the world. Remember, even when we talked about Isaiah's vision and Ezekiel's vision, we learned that these prophetic visions pull the curtain back on reality in order to reveal what is most true about the world. And so we need to take that same understanding to this New Testament vision, this final vision. And the first thing we notice is that the holy city is coming down from earth. Remember, we're not taking this literally, so we shouldn't read this and then expect one day that a floating city will darken the sky and take over the earth. But rather, the city coming down is an image meant to show that God's dwelling is and will be among his people. That God created and loves the earth and that this is where the action is and this is where God intends to establish his rule. And this is so important because there's popular thought in much of Christianity that God is going to suck us up into the sky to be with him one day. But the fundamental assumption of this line of thinking is that God's place is somewhere out there and that he must take us from where we're at in order to bring us to where he is. And so the assumption underlying all of that is that God's home is somewhere else. 
But this, but this is not true to Scripture or this particular vision that we find in the Scriptures. That this heavenly city coming down is a marker that one day heaven and earth are to become one with the promise of making all things new and God establishing his rule uh, here on earth. And all of this is portrayed and all of this is communicated through this vision of a holy city coming down to earth. And so what we have essentially in the final two chapters of Revelation, this is the way that our scriptures end, is we are taken on a tour of the holy city. We're given this vision that will in fact come to pass. And again, let's move out of concrete literalism and begin to seek to understand what does this vision mean and what does it say about what's true about the world. So this vision then is not disconnected from all that has gone before as though we are asked to believe it with blind faith, but rather this vision is a fulfillment of the journey that we've been on so far. And so not only from biblical holiness, but as we find ourselves as the people of God caught up in the story of God, this is where the story is headed. And so while these things may not yet be fully realized, we can see that the story is headed in this direction. So on this tour of the holy city, there are some important things to note. And there's three that I want to mention today. The first is the temple, or rather the absence of the temple. Now remember, the temple was the epicenter of God's presence. It was the place that you had to become ritually pure in order to enter. It was the center of life, worship, art, and culture. And for any first century Jewish person, it would be difficult to even imagine a city without a temple. And yet here we are in the final vision of the scriptures. And we find that there's no temple to be found, only a throne. And so what could a templeless city possibly mean? And what truth is it meant to be pointing us to? Well, I think part of what it's trying to show us is that the holy presence of God fills the universe where Jesus now sits on the throne as ruler over all the nations. Now remember, this is kind of back to Ascension Sunday and the truths that we're kind of grappling with and seeking to understand and begin to apply to our own lives. But you'll notice also that there's no sun or moon. And so again, the question is, uh, what is the point of, of a vision that doesn't include, of a city that doesn't include a temple, and, and then a world that doesn't include a sun or a moon? I think it's meant to point us to the reality that God himself is the light that will illuminate the way. And so in this vision, the temple, the sun and the moon are stripped away in order to point us to the reality of Jesus's presence now fills the earth. He sits on the throne as ruler over all the nations and his, the presence of his light or the light of his presence will illuminate our way. In other words, the very realities to which the church is to embody and is called to bear witness to are now made clear for all to see. And so it's this, this beautiful thing, this final vision of being able to say, this is what the church is to be about. This is not a vision disconnected from anything that we've talked about before, but rather the fulfillment of everything that's been leading up to this. 
And so this beautiful vision. The other thing to note here is that in the general descriptions of the city, everything is new and yet familiar. Now, if you're familiar with the Narnia stories, that when the children return to new Narnia in the last book of the series, The Last Battle, they describe it as being the truest version of Narnia they had ever seen. They recognize it, and yet the colors are truer. Everything seems more real. And this is author C.S. Lewis's way of picking up on this reality, that in the unhindered presence of God, all of creation is transformed. So the other thing that we need to understand as we look at this tour of the holy city is that in God's new creation, creation itself is renewed, restored, and made brand new. And for the people of God who have been called to bear witness to new creation that has begun in us, this is fantastic news. And that we are absolutely meant to go and proclaim this good news to others. Now, the second thing I want to mention of note on this tour of the holy city is the river of life. All of my life, my favorite natural feature has been the river and the waterfall. There's something about a clear mountain stream and a beautiful waterfall that helps to heal my soul. Perhaps it's the fact that rivers are ever-changing and yet consistently flowing. Or perhaps it's the peaceful strength to a river. That you could be sitting beside a stream and hear the gentle rhythm of the water, and yet at the very same time uh, bearing witness to the most powerful force on earth. And this is why I love Ezekiel's vision so much. A life-giving river flows ever deeper as it moves away from the temple, bringing life to all that it touches. But here again, in the final vision, in John's vision of the Revelation, the river once again takes center stage uh, as a biblical vision of new creation that actually builds on Ezekiel's vision. Again, it doesn't disregard this vision, but as actually bringing it to its fulfillment. So in this vision, the river flows from the throne instead of the temple. Remember, there's no temple. And so it flows from the throne into and through the middle of the city. The river shines as bright as crystals. And then on its shore is the tree of life that bears fruit continually. Here's what I want to say about this. The movement of this life-giving river points us to the reality that the holy and healing presence of God is dynamic, not static. And if you are anything like me, you might be tempted to believe that once the river touches everything and brings it to life, then there's no longer any need for the river, right? Hey, let's bring everything to life. Everything is now beautiful, brought to its full intention. And so now there's no need. But the river flows eternally from the throne of God, bringing continual life. And so the life of holiness for the people of God is dynamic and alive, not static. Or let me say it this way. Holiness is not a state that you reach. It is a life you enter into. Now, I hope that some of you are taking notes at home because that is so good. So I'll say it again. Holiness is not a state that you reach, 
but it's a life that you enter into. It is a river that is flowing that brings life. And so as, as the people of God, what we're called to do, what we're invited to do is to jump into the ever flowing river of God to bring life to ourselves and to the world around us. And what an opportunity we have in a time where we are so weary, where everyone's soul is tired, to jump into the life-giving river of God. Now, isn't it true that sometimes that which is holy is revered to the point that it almost becomes boring? Be quiet, we say to kids in the sanctuary. Follow the rules, we say to our teenagers. Believe the right things, we say to our adults. (laughs) But if we aren't careful, our framework for holiness will become static. It'll become about things that we don't do. Uh, It'll become about things, uh, so long as we're not doing these things, then we're living a holy life. But the visionary picture of life in and with Christ is far more beautiful than that. It isn't static at all, but rather it's the life-giving ever-flowing river. Now, there's even more depth and more beauty to the river of life imagery. In the closing verses of the scriptures, it says this, and this is in chapter 22, verse 17. Now, let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take water of life take it as a gift. Now, this invitation in chapter 22 is actually an echo of the same invitation in chapter 21. And so twice in the closing chapters of the Bible, there's an invitation to drink from the living water of God without cost or as a gift. Now, why would the scriptures emphasize this life-giving water costs nothing? Because this vision of the holy city is a critique of societal systems that prevent the poor from being able to afford even the essentials of life. And so the heavenly city is set up as this divine alternative to economies that exploit some groups while benefiting others. And so the city of God offers life's essentials to everyone as a gift. In other words, this vision is for everyone. It's an opportunity and made available for absolutely everyone. I want you to listen to what author Barbara Rossing has to say in her phenomenal book called The Rapture Exposed. She says this, for people to whom even the cost of water is unaffordable, the fact that God gives the water of life without payment comes as good news. As a healing contrast to the exploitive economy of Babylon, New Jerusalem offers a gift economy in which water and other essentials of life are given without cost. Wow, what a beautiful picture of all things made new. Now, the last thing I wanna point out on this tour of the holy city is this, that along the bank of the river is the tree of life. And amazingly, miraculously, this tree bears a different fruit each month. It's in a continual cycle of fruit bearing. But can we touch it? Can we eat it? Now, you'll remember these are important biblical questions. Because in Genesis, after humanity's rebellion against God, the fruit from the tree of life is forbidden. But now in the book of Revelation, in this final vision, that prohibition is lifted and the tree of life is now open for all to eat from 
and all to enjoy. And again, this, this vision isn't just for us to, to kind of think about. It has very real implications. That in New Jerusalem, there is food for everyone and no one goes hungry. That in a broken economical system, it seems there will always be those who don't have enough because of exploitive practices. But God's new creation doesn't operate on those same rules. In this gift economy, nature and humanity and God all live in harmony with one another. But I want you to notice too that how a tree that produces fruit once a month shows us again that God brings continual life to us. That the life into which we are invited into in Christ is a life of dynamic, uh, ever-moving, entering into the eternal flow of God. And so any person claiming to walk in holiness that has been stuck for years is living in a false reality. For the holiness of God will always lead us into new life and new fruit. It is never static and never boring. But this tree of life, just as the river of life, has even more surprises. We're told about the tree of life in, in the second verse of chapter 22. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so here, the scope of God's redemptive work is brought into focus. The healing God offers is for the whole world. It is not limited to particular people. And church, American church, hear me when I say this, the healing of God is not limited to a particular nation, but to all the nations. Yes, we are healed as individuals, but God's healing is also intended for the nations of the world. And so, at the conclusion of this series, the invitation of Revelation is to lay the healing leaves of the tree of life onto every wound that we carry, whether physical or spiritual or emotional. Because God offers us the healing from the tree of life. And so my question to us is simply this. What wounds do we carry that need healing? And what might it look like for us to live into the forgiveness that God offers to us, receiving the forgiveness that others offer, or offering forgiveness and mercy to those who have harmed us? And so maybe we need healing today from wounded relationships, wounded families, certainly the environment, our own greed, Maybe our bodies need healing from COVID or other diseases. Perhaps wounds of hate where folks from other nations are, being, are seen as being less than, or perhaps healing over our divided political landscape, or perhaps rescue from failing systems of organization. You see, there are so many things that we could name that need the healing touch of God. And the promise of Revelation the good news, the hope that we lean into that's given to us in this prophetic vision is that that healing is made available to us in the person 
of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we need the Spirit of God to lead us into the ins and outs of what this might look like and how we might live into that. And I don't want to give those things to you, but rather want to invite you into relationship with the Holy Spirit, invite you into the practices of prayer where God might begin to speak to your heart, speak to your soul, and begin to reveal to you what it would look like for you to live into the healing that God offers. Because essential to the life of holiness, essential in participating in the holiness of God is not just our own healing, although it certainly is that, but also the healing of the nations. Now, our tour of the heavenly city began with the one who is on the throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. Did you notice that statement is in the present active, am making. It wasn't in anticipation, I will make all things new, nor was it in retrospect, I have made all things new, but rather in the present active. God proclaims in this prophetic vision, revealing to us what is most true about the world, I am making all things new. And so this vision unveils for us that the one who sits on the throne is going about the work of making all things new, even right here and right now. To which I say, amen. To which I say, oh God, how we need it. Because as I mentioned in the introduction to the service today, we are facing so much so fast a public health crisis, an economic crisis, a a racial crisis, a, a political division crisis, all these crises facing us in our country. Everything, up, so much about our lives uprooted in a moment. How can we even possibly find our way? We find our way by pulling on the threads of hope that are offered to us in the person of Jesus in this prophetic vision And we rest on the reality and the confidence that God is making all things new. And so may the God of mercy bring healing to our souls from the sin that plagues us. May the God of grace bring healing to our bodies from COVID, cancer, and disease. And may the God of creation bring about his new creation. Amen.